Well, have you ever heard a, um, a story so outrageous that you didn't believe it until you, until you heard it or, or saw the evidence firsthand? Anybody hear a story like that? Yeah. The rest of you guys just don't get out? or <laughs> All right. Well, I heard a story a couple months ago, and uh, I was eating with a group of you all at, at Cool Beans, and this was several months ago. I'm still kind of trying to size up everybody. I don't have, you know, know everybody too well, and... and um, and a story starts percolating about this guy in our congregation who was a professional putt-putt golfer. And forgive me, but I wasn't sure that I wasn't the, the subject of some hazing. And uh, they were telling the more of the story and going on and on, and I'm like, seriously? professional putt-putt, okay. All right, so then I did some Googling at home, and I thought they were just completely pulling my leg, and did some Googling, and it's okay, well, there's, there's sort of looks like there's a thing out there, and, and then I was having lunch with this person, this person who I was allowed now to name was, is Roger Earnhardt, and um, having lunch with Roger, and I said, okay, well, I'm just going to take a risk here, and I'm going to say, you know, ask myself, so Roger, I heard this story that you are a professional, you were a professional putt-putt golfer, and um, I was already, it was coached up because you can't say mini-golf. There's apparently two sides, and mini-golf and putt-putt golf don't like each other, okay? It's kind of, so I was already coached up. I asked about professional putt-putt golf. And yes, in fact, there is a professional putt-putt golf tour. And they have tournaments, and there's money, and there's... And, uh, and in 1983, in the early 80s, it was on TV. That was kind of... That shows you what ESPN, you know, they had to get some kind of programming going before they could show poker all night. Um, so I was asking Roger, and he was telling all this, and the, the good news of this whole story is that that's how he met his wife. So the good thing, he didn't ever want to, never won a major tournament, but he, he won a wife through putt-putt golf. And, and, but don't ask him about mini golf. Don't ask him about clown noses or alligator mouths or anything like that. It's a, it's a touchy subject. But that story was so outrageous. I left Cool Beans going, okay, I think they are just totally pulling my leg. I don't even know what to, what to believe or not. You know, and the resurrection story is a little bit like that. The resurrection story is a story that's so outrageous and unbelievable, you're not sure if you can believe it without seeing some evidence. A friend of mine, she uh, ministers over at College Park in uh, Orlando. She had this on her sign for Easter season about the resurrection. YOLO, JK, BRB, Jesus. Are there any youth or millennials who can translate that for us? YOLO means you only live once. Just kidding. Be right back. All right. You can Google that stuff if you need to. Translate your children's text messages. So Jesus said, you only live once. Just kidding. Be right back. And the story of the resurrection is a little like that. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And uh, our story this week is another part of the resurrection story, kind of picking up where we left off last week. And, and over the series called Flip-Flop Faith, we're going to look at several of the resurrection stories this week in John again, 
next week in Luke, and then uh, we'll be looking at a couple pieces in Acts uh, in the last two weeks. So hear the word of the Lord from John 20. It was still the first day of the week, and that evening while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed him his hands, and he, and he showed him his side. And, and when the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. But Thomas wasn't with them. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came that night. And the other disciples then went and told him, we've seen the Lord. The other disciples went and told him, Roger played professional putt-putt golf. But after eight days, the disciples were again in the same house. And again, they were, they were behind locked doors. But this time, Thomas was with them. And even though those doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, he zeroed in on Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy or, or blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And then John goes on to close saying, then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence. Signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Now, I believe Thomas kind of gets a, gets a bum rap with the name Doubting Thomas. I think most of us, if we were really honest in, in that situation, if we're really honest with ourselves, we would probably react in a similar manner. You just think that they're in this room, they're locked away that night after the resurrection, still trying to figure things out, and we're told they're afraid. They're, they're afraid, and they're, they've closed themselves away from the Jewish authorities, fearing for their lives. And then Jesus walks in without picking the lock, walks in and says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands, and he shows them his side, and, you know, in, in typical male fashion goes, hey, check this gross stuff out, you know? If Jesus was a woman, they would never have done that, you know? At least not among other men. But Jesus says, check out my hands, check out my, my side and my wounds. And then the, then the disciples were filled with joy. And he says, peace be with you. I'm going to send you out just as the Father sent me. And, and then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them to give them power. And says, now you can go and you can forgive others' sin. And you can be my representatives in the world under my authority. That's a pretty unbelievable story if, if you had to then tell that to someone else. 
without them seeing or experiencing any of that. And then we learn that Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why. Scripture doesn't say. We can speculate. Maybe Thomas had moved on already, even that evening. And, you know, okay, Jesus is dead. I don't really know what's happening. I need to go get on with my life, find a new job, or going back to his job, whatever he was. And, you know, maybe he's, you know, by himself and uh, kind of contemplating what's going on. But we're not told in the Scripture why Thomas is there. But then Thomas comes back, and then the disciples tell Thomas this great big story, and they expect him to believe it. They say, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas didn't believe. He said, unless I see the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. And then eight days later, again, we're locked in a house, but this time Thomas is with them. And Jesus walks right in again. Peace be with you. And then he signals out Thomas and walks right towards Thomas. Look at my wounds. Check this out. Put your hand there. Put your fingers there if you want to. But no more not believing this. And Thomas responds, My Lord and my God. You know, I find it interesting that, that Jesus, when he entered that room the first night, he didn't enter the room and wasn't upset with the disciples. He wasn't like, well, what are you guys doing? Why are you hiding back here? You know, you should be out doing what I've taught you to do. He didn't reprimand them for their, their fear or their not understanding he said, peace be with you. Let me give you peace amongst your fear. Let me look at these, these wounds. It, it's me. I'm the same guy that three days ago was up on the cross. It's because Jesus turned that paradigm up. Remember last week we talked about this paradigm in the church where we, we have to believe everything and then we can learn how to behave, and then, and then when you're good enough, when you're clean enough, when you have all your, your ducks in a row, and then you can come and you can be a part of us. When you've kind of met all the check boxes. But, but Jesus didn't do that. The disciples had been belonging with Jesus all along, all these three years. And they, they were learning how to behave. They were watching Jesus. They were watching how he interacted with the Pharisees and the other leaders. They were watching how he interacted with people he shouldn't have been interacting with. And, and even after all that, though, they were still figuring out what do we believe. Can you imagine that? I mean, they had, they had a three-year master's level course, 24-7 living with Jesus, and they still didn't have it all quite figured out. But Jesus had flip-flopped this idea and, and he allowed them to belong where they then watched and, and learned how to imitate him and they're still working out their beliefs. And it's, it's okay. Jesus doesn't reprimand them. Even when Thomas comes, even when Thomas comes, Jesus doesn't reprimand him then. He says, come, check this out. Look closer. But now, now that you see the evidence, believe. I don't think Thomas was a doubter. I think Thomas was a realist. And maybe it's because 
I, I maybe feel that I'm maybe in that realm as well. I think he was a realist. He, he didn't turn off his brain when he came to be a part of this group, and he was trying to reason and understand what was happening. I think he was a faithful follower. And we're, I think that's supported in a couple of these verses. Thomas doesn't appear in the other Gospels other than to say that he was one of the disciples. Matthew and, and Mark and Luke to say Thomas was there. Thomas was one of the dudes. But John gives Thomas some action in three different places. This first is in John 11. This is where, where Jesus is being called back to, to see Lazarus, his best friend, who has taken ill and is near death. And instead of running right back to, to Lazarus, Jesus waits. And there's some discussion amongst the uh, disciples. And Jesus wants to go back to Judea, and, and the disciples are all saying, well, it's too dangerous there. They just, you just came from there. They wanted to kill you. We escaped. Let's not go back there, because they're going to stone you to death and probably stone us to death if we go. But Thomas, in verse 16, says, Let's go, let us go to so we may die with Jesus. Does that sound like someone who doubts this whole thing? Sounds more of a statement like Peter, right? Peter's ready to go. The other disciples are like, I don't know if I want to go back through Judea, we might die. And Thomas is like, let's go do it, you know? And later in John 14, we have this, these words of comfort from, from Jesus they're familiar words, are a lot of times used at a funeral service or a memorial service. And, and Jesus says, do not be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when I prepare a place for you, I will return and I will take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be too. You know where, you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas jumps in again and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Again, it doesn't sound like someone who's doubting. It sounds like someone who wants to know what to do. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. Hold on to that idea of knowing and seeing God. So I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap. He, he's, he's a faithful follower. He's an, he's an honest follower. Lord, I don't know the way, but show me the way. Obey Hendricks, a scholar from Columbia University, says this, Thomas is not a skeptic, but a critical thinker, someone who has to reason his way to faith. And too often we separate faith and reason, but reason is a re, or faith is a reasoned trust. Faith is a reasoned trust. We don't have much more information about Thomas. Uh, there's some non-canonical books, non-biblical books called the Gospel of Thomas and the Acts of Thomas. And, and some of it sounds, frankly, just to be quite honest with you, uh, some of the Gospel of Thomas sounds exactly like the other Gospels and some of it sounds like Proverbs and then some of it is a little bit weird. Um, kind of goes off the rails and gets into some kooky language. So um, you're like, okay, I'm tracking with you. Oh, no, that's really weird. Okay. Oh, that's just a story. Just... But we learn a little bit about Thomas in those, in those Gospels and the Acts of Thomas. And we learn that Thomas was sent to India. Begrudgingly, he was sent, kind of like Jonah, he was sent to India by, by Jesus, the legend goes. And 
Thomas is responsible for the spread of Christianity to the entire East. And in, to this day in India, churches are based around the Apostle Thomas. And uh, he was a great spreader of the word. He wasn't a doubter. He, he took the word and, and went to the ends of the earth, literally. But I found something really interesting, and I want to share with you. i got to do it quickly, and um, it's in the book of John. There's a, there's a good bit of evidence to where we finished reading the book of John in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, is the real ending, the first ending of John. And that John 21, John 21 is a great chapter, the breakfast on the beach and the reinstatement of Peter. I love that chapter. But there's a good bit of evidence that that was extra that was put on at a later date by different scribes and, and translators. And, um, but the evidence shows that John 20, verses 30 and 31, are the end of the story. And tell me if this sounds like the end. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing, you will have life in his name. Sounds like it's wrapping up the book, doesn't it? Or at least a good section of the book. Now keep that in mind. Keep that imagery and thought in mind. And we're going to go back to John chapter 1, the very beginning of this book. In the beginning was the Word. And remember, the Word is a signal language for what? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We just heard from Thomas, my Lord and my God, at the end of John. And at the beginning of John, the writer is saying, the Word, Jesus, was God. Good bookends to a book. Remember in writing class we were told, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them? It's exactly what's happening here in John. And the first chapter, John, if you, you flesh it out even more, is it, it tells a whole entire story of what's coming. The Word was with God in the beginning, and everything came into being through the Word. And without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light, that's Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. But a man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, to testify concerning Jesus, so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light. But the world didn't recognize the light. The light came into its, to its own people, and its own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children. Born not of blood, born not of desire or passion, but born from God. And in this very well-known passage, the word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, crying out, This is the one whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, 
So grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. We're told Jesus became flesh and he was, he was full of grace and truth and, and he received and we received grace upon grace through his living and his miracles. And G, uh, Moses came and gave us the law, but Jesus came and gave us grace and truth. And then we're told no one has ever seen God until Jesus himself came and made God known and made him seen through his wounds and through his resurrection and new life. This is, this is, friends, the most important theme of the Gospel of John. Look at the evidence. Believe in Jesus. He is God. John wants us to believe that Jesus is God. So what about having doubts? I think we're all a little bit like Thomas, if we're really honest. Father James Martin, a Catholic priest, says, Thomas, he's the uh, perfect apostle because he represents all of us. We all have doubts in the spiritual life. And, and all of us, out of our human nature, want proof. And that's what, that's what Thomas was looking for. He just wanted to see the evidence. He, he was trying to reason his faith. And he wanted to see this evidence and experience it for himself firsthand. And, and we want to do the same. If, if you're like me, we, I want to see, see, show me the stuff. Show me the evidence. Not just based on what others say, you know, because Easter time, we need to take heart. If you're a cynic, if you're, you're not a believer, and you don't understand quite what is, and you may just say, well, I'm not so sure about this. Easter season is a great season because God forms us in community and, and God forms honest faith as we wrestle with our doubts and questions. And, and out of this clay, out of this clay of doubt, God forms an Easter people who believe Jesus is God. And I just love when, when Thomas comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, why, why are you not believing? Jesus says, come closer. Take a look at this. Look at my side. I'm the same guy that was on the cross. He doesn't push him away. He brings him closer. Perhaps one of the most eloquent Doubters of our modern era is the Russian writer and philosopher Fyodor Dostoevsky. He said that this, It is not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. My Hosanna is born of a furnace of doubt. Just like Thomas, he wanted to see the evidence. So I think in this, in this season of Easter, we need to be willing to do three things. I think we need to be willing to draw close to Jesus. Just like Thomas. Be honest like Thomas. Come closer and see the wounds. Come closer and see the life. And do that through prayer and scripture reflection, through, through asking questions in community amongst ourselves. Secondly, we need, to, we need to share our Jesus experiences with others. We, we need to be sent out to make God seen in the world. Just like Jesus was sent out from heaven to make God seen and known, we need to be sent out from this place of belief to make God seen and known. We need to make him known like Jesus did, being willing to be vulnerable to share our stories, our stories that are filled with woundedness, 
and failure and fear, but also to then share our new life in Christ. Be vulnerable enough to, to put that all out there. This is what it was like before for me. And, and it's a struggle sometimes now, but, but I feel in my new life in Christ, Christ has is, is given me this. And when I doubt, I know that Christ is with me. And lastly, we need to be accepting of others' doubts and questions and unbelief. And this is something that the church, not Grace Church, but the global church for thousands of years has not been good at. We as a church haven't always done a good job at living this idea out, making space for doubt, being okay with doubt, celebrating and encouraging doubt and questions, and, doubt and encouraging people to reason for their faith. We need to be a place that offers, just like Jesus, offers grace upon grace to those who are wrestling and reasoning their faith. We've said uh, that this place, grace, is a, is a in our vision, our, our, our end goal is to make God's grace a reality to all people. So if, if you're here today and, and you don't yet believe in this guy named Jesus, I want you to encourage you to find space to experience the first-hand evidence of Jesus. Search the scriptures. Ask these folks around you. Come and be a part of our community groups. Ask me questions. Come and let's go hang out. But find the evidence that you need to make that, that leap of faith, to find your reasoned trust. And I'm hoping we're going to give you space to reason, to ask questions, to wrestle. And, and when you're ready, when you're ready to say, Jesus, my Lord and my God, then come. And, and if that's today, if, that's, if you're ready today, then you know, there's no better place than to do that at the altar and worship. Jesus is waiting for you to, to come and see his hands and his feet and his side and, and to touch and to experience him. And maybe you've You've done that a long time ago. But you feel, you know, I, I'm, I'm desiring to live my life in such a way to imitate Jesus. And now you're looking for a willingness to experience and to share your woundedness and a willingness to experience and share your new life in Christ so that you can go out and share your, your hands and your feet and your sides to those needing to see the evidence of Jesus, the evidence of God. If you're ready to be a representative of Jesus Christ, then the altar is a great place to do that as well, to make a new commitment to go out and to, to share your woundedness and to share your new life with others so that they may know and see God himself. Friends, Jesus is waiting for us. Jesus is waiting for us to respond, my, God, my Lord and my God. And Jesus is ready, waiting for us to respond and to be sent out as his representatives of love and grace in the world. Amen. Amen.